The reading this evening is from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 18, and can be found on page 1202 in your church Bibles. Hebrews chapter 2, starting at verse 5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is man that you are mindful of him? the son of man, that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. But the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of one and the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Good evening. Shall I pray for us as we begin to look at this passage together? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive and that it speaks to us today. And we thank you for this passage that we have in front of us tonight. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to see what you want us to see and to hear what you want us to hear tonight. And Lord, may you soften our hearts that we might be changed as we read your word together now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'd like to start tonight with a little game. Who's ever played Who Am I? If you've ever been to a youth group, the chances are the answer is yes. So what I'm going to do is call out a couple of clues, um, and um, then I want you um, to tell me who it is that I'm describing. And then a little picture on the screen is going to appear, and you can see whether you're right. So here is number one. I live in a palace and a flag flies when I'm at home. Who am I? Great. There we go. Did we get it right? Oh, dear. <laughs> well, we'll see. Yes, you did get it right. I can tell you. Um, <laughs> I went to a castle for a school and I have a rather large scar on my head. Who am I? Oh, yes, we are Harry Potter. 
Number three, I love playing tennis and I recently became number one in the world. Who am I? Andy Murray. And finally, I am named after the station where I was found and I am rather partial to a spot of marmalade. Who am I? Paddington Bear. I don't know if we've got any of the pictures behind us, but um, never mind. A bit of a random selection of characters there. And you might be sitting there thinking, what a weird way to start a talk. Ellie, the youth group have just left. They're over at Friends Meeting House. If you want to play games, then maybe that's where you should be speaking tonight. But I want to say that there is a reason for this slightly unusual start. I wanted to start with this little game tonight to help us to see through the eyes of the people to whom this letter was first written. Because in our culture and with our understanding, we can miss the point of what is being said here. Rob McDonald kicked things off last week on this series of Hebrews with Hebrews chapter 1, the first section of this letter. And he spoke about how Jesus was superior to the angels. And he really hammered home the point. Uh, in uh, chapter 1, the writer speaks about how God is Jesus' father how the angels worship him, how Jesus' throne will last forever, how he is the saviour whilst the angels minister to those being saved. You know, he doesn't kind of hold back. He goes straight in there. Jesus is superior to the angels. And though we might miss it, for the Hebrew readers, they'd have known exactly what was being said. In their understanding, there was a very clear hierarchy of beings, and it went like this. It began at the top with God. Then there were the angels. Then there was mankind. Then there was animals. And then there was the rest of creation. And so the fact that Jesus was superior to the angels can only mean one thing. It can only mean that Jesus is God. There is no other option. And so the writer, having just spent time hammering this point home, how Jesus is superior to the angels, he now starts talking about how Jesus is like us. But he's very careful in verse 5 to make sure people don't think that he's suddenly changed tack, that he's changed his mind, that he's had a change of heart. He continues talking about the angels and how Jesus is superior. As he said, it is not to the angels that he has subjected the world to come. But as he's going to go on and explain, it's Jesus Christ. In these next few verses, the writer to the Hebrews goes on to explain how even in his humanity, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is superior. Nothing has changed. And now in the verses that follow, he speaks about Jesus' mission and why it was that he had to become like us. And he begins with what you might think is a bit of a curveball as he quotes a bit of Psalm 8. He, he says, you know, he, this, let me just read this quote for us. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him, you made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. This quote begins, what is man that you are mindful of him? There's this total amazement of the psalmist that God should care so much for mankind. 
And when you read that in the context of the rest of Psalm 8, where he's speaking about the glory of God's entire creation, it's even more amazing that God should care for human beings like you and me and choose relationship with us. And then he says that he should crown us with glory and honor, putting everything under our feet. That God has crowned us with glory and honor, putting everything under our feet. You know, that was God's intended design for mankind. He's alluding there to to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the very, very beginning of the story as God is creating um, over, you know, and we can read, read about it in Genesis chapter, chapter 1. Um, in verse 26, on the sixth day, we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. That was what God intended for his creation. But we don't have to look hard to see that's not the reality. Things were not and are not as they were meant to be. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about designs not quite going to plan. And I know that there are some of us in this room tonight um, who are are missing a a program which we um, enjoyed watching on our TV screens a few months ago, The Great British Bake Off. And I know for a fact that there are also some people for whom one episode of The Bake Off every week was not sufficient. Um, And so for them, there was The Bake Off Extra Slice, which was um, very exciting. They talked about what had happened in the show Um, that week, the contestants, what they'd made, the highs and the lows, um, the wins and the fails. But there's a part of that program where they talk about they, you know, there's a section, show us your bakes, and people would, would um, contact the, the program and show pictures um, of, of designs that have gone spectacularly well, but also some spectacular fails. Here is one, um, if we can have the next slide. So this is what it was meant to look like, and this is what it actually looked like. So <laughs> the design didn't quite go to plan. And although that's a bit of a silly example, we can blank the screen now. Um, We don't have to look hard in our world to see that God's intended design for us hasn't quite yet been brought to reality. Clearly not everything is subject to us. We don't need to look hard to hear of natural disasters, of earthquakes, of famines, of poverty, of sickness, of suffering, of brokenness and pain. The world is not yet subject to us. And so when the psalmist is talking about God crowning us with glory and honor and putting everything under our feet, was he just wishful thinking? Was he just a bit of an idealist? Or was he just plain wrong? And I want to say, no, he wasn't any of those things. Instead, he's painting a picture of what God intended us to be his intended plan for his creation. The goal has been frustrated by the fall. But the sense of wonder and celebration that we see in Psalm 8, and which the writer to the Hebrews quotes here, 
shows that it hasn't been forgotten. And the next question is, well, why on earth is the writer to the Hebrews bringing up this psalm here? And I want to say the answer is because he's seen the one who has perfectly fulfilled this psalm. He recognizes in verse 8b that man hasn't yet fulfilled their God-given potential. As he says, you know, yet at present, we do not see everything subject to to him, to, to mankind. In the message translation, Eugene Peterson puts it like this. When God put them in charge of everything, nothing was excluded, but we don't see it yet. We don't see everything under human jurisdiction. But the writer to the Hebrews doesn't finish there. In verse 9, if you'll read it with me, he says this. But we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a while, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Where we failed, Jesus was victorious, and he is crowned with glory and with honor. And this is who the writer to the Hebrews wants us to look at. The one who we've already been told in chapter 1 verse 2 has been appointed heir of everything. And this is who I want us to see tonight. Where we fell from God's perfect plan, he didn't walk away and start again from scratch. He entered into our fallen and broken world. Jesus is the perfect son of man who shows us what it looks like to live as God intended, to be crowned with glory and honor, with even death subject to him. And you know what the best news of all about this is? is that Jesus is not just our example to follow. He's not just our representative. Jesus is our redeemer. And through him, we can become the sons of man that we were created to be. In verse 10, the writer talks about how Jesus is the author or the pioneer of our salvation. And this word pioneer has as I was doing my research this week, has this sense of, of champion. To those, and to those reading this letter, this kind of language of, of Jesus being our champion would have conjured up in their minds memories of another story that they were very familiar, the legendary exploits of Hercules. <laughs> now, the story of Hercules is, is associated with the conquest of death. And so by using this language, The writer wants us to see that Jesus is their champion who has gone ahead of them, who has broken the powers of sin and death and has secured their freedom. If you've ever entered into um, any kind of sporting race, you'll know that on the application form, you often have to state uh, what time you aim to complete it in. And I know that there are some of us, um, or some of you, I'm not, um, going to be running the Cambridge Half in a few weeks' time. Um, And when I've done it in the past, I've usually overestimated how long it's going to take me because then I always feel a sense of satisfaction and achievement at the end that I've beaten the time that I said. And when it comes to race day, the 
Every, all the, the contestants will queue up behind a, a person who has you know, got a number of the time they want to complete the race in. Um, and the idea is that if you follow that person to the finish, then you'll complete the race in the time that you were hoping to do. And that is really helpful. <laughs> but the thing is, you've still got to run yourself. <laughs> and if you can't keep up, then you're a bit stuck and you get left behind. And so when we can't keep up and when there is no way we can do it on our own, we need more than just a pace setter. But just imagine if the one who set the pace turned round, saw that we were struggling and carried us across the finish line. And that's a little glimpse of what Jesus has done for us. He's not just our pace setter, but he carries us. He's our champion who has gone ahead of us, punching through the walls of sin and suffering and ultimately death itself. Tasting it, as verse 9 says, so that we don't have to. And he takes us with him. Though we don't yet see things as God intended them to be, we do see Jesus. And in him and through him, we can become the Psalm 8 people that God intended us to be. So what does our champion look like? What does he look like? Well, I want to say, first of all, it was not what the Jewish people were expecting. In verse 10, the writer says that it was fitting to God, for God to make the pioneer of our salvation perfect through suffering. But the idea of a suffering Messiah was abhorrent to the Jews. For them, it was unthinkable that the saviour of the world, the one that was coming to make all things new, should have to suffer anything, let alone death. It definitely wasn't fitting for them. And for us today, it really isn't what you'd expect a rescue mission to look like. With the kind of language he's using, this idea of being our pioneer, our champion. You know, it kind of conjures up dramatic scenes of rescue. Sort of lightning bolts from heaven and powerful forces coming to the rescue. But this is not who the writer is describing. Yes, there were dramatic scenes, but they were of a very different nature to what you'd expect. There's nothing very kind of champion-like about a man dying on a cross with blood pouring down his body. But for our God, who longed to bring many sons to glory, verse 10, there was no other way. The way up was down. And so he completely changed the established order of things. The one who was superior to the angels became lower than the angels. Our champion shared in our life. He shared our life. In their world, um, the people that were reading this letter, they'd have had this idea of God being outside all things, observing from afar and free from the consequences of the fallen, broken world they were living in. Surely that's what it means to be superior. But the writer paints a very different picture. Jesus, the Son of God, entering into our mess, our brokenness, and our humanity. 
we see lots of times throughout this passage references to, to Jesus becoming like us. In verse 11, we're told that we're part of the same family. In verses 11 to 12, he talks about you know, how we're his brothers. In verse 14, how he shared in our humanity. In verse 17, how he was made like his brothers. Jesus Christ shared in our life. In his 33 years on earth, he lived in poverty as a refugee. He experienced loss and he knew the pain of grief. He encountered rejection, persecution and betrayal. He did not stand on the sidelines and watch. He fully moved in and he became like us in every way, but without sin. And he even became like us in our death. He shared in our life and he tasted our death. I just want to read verses 14 and 15 again, if you'll turn with me as well. He says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I don't need to say any more than that. How incredible is that, that by death, he destroyed death. That's how our champion won the victory. And finally, he conquered the grave. His life didn't end on the cross. Three days later, Jesus rose again, destroying death once and for all, crowned with glory and honor, with everything subject to him. For our champion, the way up was down. He took all our muck on, our, on himself. All the things that wreck our lives, he took them all on his shoulders. And he carried them to the depths, bearing them away once and for all. Tasting death so that we wouldn't have to. And rising to glory so that we could be the people that God created us to be. That's what our champion looks like. He didn't sort out the wrongs of the world by hurtling lightning bolts from a superior height. But he went under it all. And he bore it all away from below so that he could pick us up and bring us to new life with him. That is what our champion looks like. And the final question I want to ask then is, if that's what he looks like, what do we look like as we follow him? The people reading this letter were crushed and downtrodden. They were filled with fear about what would happen to them if they continued to follow Jesus. And some were tempted to turn their back on their faith. And the writer was worried about this, worried that they would revert back to, to Judaism, to their old ways and forget Jesus. And so he's trying to give them their confidence and their strength back to show them that in Jesus, they're not a people who are defeated, but are people who are victorious. And there's a message in there for us tonight. Though we might not be in the same situation that they were, as we look around us, we don't see everything as it should be. And at times, it can feel like we want to give up. We can feel hopeless. 
can feel like turning our back on God. But I want to say to us tonight that when we see Jesus, when we fix our eyes on our champion, there is hope. Because in him, we are not a defeated people. Because of what he has overcome, we will not be overcome. We are a people who are strengthened by God. We are a people strengthened by God. Because God became like us, there is nothing that we will face in our lives that he has not identified with us in and is able to help us through. Yes, we're living in a world where things aren't as God intended them to be. But the writer wants us to see that the the God we worship has not left us to navigate these days on our own. God doesn't say, see you at the finish line. He comes with us to the finish line. If you read verse 18, it's amazing. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. He is able to help us. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, and actually it's a verse that Rupert spoke about this morning in, uh, in his talk on Nehemiah. And it's found in Luke chapter 7, verse 16. God has come to help his people. God is our help. And sorry for, for another running illustration, but I figured the right to the Hebrews uses quite a few, so I think that's probably okay. Um, but I can remember when I did my first ever half marathon, um, when I was in Exeter, I was in my third year doing the Great West Run. And it is, if any of you ever been to Exeter, you'll know that it is not the flattest place. It is not like Cambridge. Um, it is incredibly hilly. Um, and... I'd, I'd kind of made my way to about 12.5 miles, and I was so nearly there. Um, and I'd, I'd spent my, all my training running with my housemate and good friend, Yvette, and she'd been told on the day, few days before the race, she had to pull out because she'd got a knee injury. So, so I, was, I was running um, on my own, um, but she kind of appeared at various points along the way. Um, and I can really remember, as I was like at the, you know, I was, so ready to give up I can remember kind of seeing her about the 12 and a half mile mark and thinking you know this is it <laughs> I am done I am not going to finish this but she came and she ran <laughs> the last part with me until we got into the arena and then I had a new burst of energy and, and kind of ran across the finish line on my own but she came and she she kind of kept me going she was talking to me she was helping me um, and um, and we ran that last little bit together and she knew the pain of it because she'd done it um, all in training. Um, and it was just so great that she was able to help me there across the line on that day. And that's, a, for me, been a little picture of how God comes alongside us in the highs and the lows of our lives. Every single day, he is with us. He doesn't leave us on our own. And we see that no more clearly than in this passage. And although he may not be with us physically, like Yvette was with me as I finished that race that day, he has given his Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to equip us, and to help us keep running the race for him. When we're tempted to give up, to doubt, to change direction, 
we have one who can help us to keep going. We've just got to ask him. And one of my favorite things about doing the job here at HT with the students and spending time with them day in, day out, week in, week out, is getting to hear the stories of the times when they have asked for God's help and they have seen breakthrough. And it's just so wonderful, you know, as we go and have coffee together in Nero um, and they share, you know, a story of how God has set them free from an addiction to pornography or um, whatever it might be that they were, were struggling with. God is working. And as they've asked for help, they have seen him provide in extraordinary ways. At Christmas time, as we do at the end of every term, we invite the students to, to share testimonies of what God has been doing. And this, um, we did it in, in here in December. And the queue down the side there um, was so long, we had to call halt to it because otherwise we'd have been here all night. And so many of these stories were of students seeing breakthrough and, and you know, having asked for God's help and him providing in amazing ways. But it all starts by asking for help. You know, maybe you need to do that tonight. Maybe you've been struggling along on your own and you just need to, to say, God, help me. The second thing um, is that we are a people who are free from a fear of death. We read in verses 14 and 15 how Jesus has broken the power of death in our lives. Our lives, you know, are no longer bound by a fear of death. Yes, we are still faced with it. But in Jesus, it has lost its sting. The fear of death is gone because it doesn't have any power over us anymore. Death is not the end. And I shared this um, at the 7.30 service a few months ago, um, but I wanted to share it again tonight because it seemed fitting in the language of the writers of the Hebrews to do that. Um, but I just wanted to share a little time when, for me, I realized this more profoundly than I ever have and possibly ever will, that death really isn't the end, that it has lost its sting. And it was in the most surprising of times. It was during the funeral of a very close friend who, um, well, she was a, one of the young people that had been in, the, um, in Hertfordshire where I'd been youth pastoring. And a year ago, almost today, she, she died of cancer, which had only been diagnosed recently. And she um, was very young and it was a total tragedy. And I can remember the day of the funeral approaching and just being filled with dread at the thought of hundreds of people gathered there, you know, many of whom were young, um, to say goodbye to somebody whose wedding they'd just been celebrating only seven months before. And it just seemed the bleakest and the most hopeless of days. And I can remember turning up at the church where the funeral was going to be held and looking at the program of the songs that we were going to be singing as we um, yeah, celebrated India's life. And I remember looking at the words and just thinking, how on earth are we going to sing it? How are we going to sing these truths? But then I can remember this amazing thing happened as we, as we started to worship. And at some point during the worship, it was just this sudden revelation of this truth that death has lost its sting. And there was such power as together hundreds of us were declaring that. And there was this one particular song which we sung and there's a couple of lines. It just says, now death, where is your sing? Our resurrected king has rendered you defeated. Though we were in the face of death, there was hope. And there was so much more than what we were seeing that day. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes that death is swallowed up in victory. And it is true. It is true. And I think when we get hold of that, our perspective changes and nothing is ever the same. And finally, when we follow Jesus, we are a people who are raised to life. We are raised to life. Yes, we haven't received the crown yet that the psalmist is talking about, but we can be confident that we will. We can be confident that in Jesus, we will be the people that God has created us to be. And maybe for you tonight, you need to hear that. Maybe you've given up hope and you feel like things will never change. Maybe there are addictions or habits or ways of of living. Maybe there are times when you just think nothing is ever going to change. And it's like there's this kind of wall of impossibility in front of you. Well, I want to say in those times, hold on to the truth of the resurrection where we see the impossible become possible. The one who lives in us is greater than the one who's in the world. It's a little bit like this. I don't know if you've ever done one of those like bungee runs um, where you put the elastic cord on your back and you try and run as fast as you can and as hard as you can um, before you, the kind of elastic thing pulls you, pulls you backwards. And it's quite fun, but it's quite hard as well. Um, but it's like in Jesus, the cord is on the other side of us. It's no longer behind us, but it's in front of us, pulling us forward. That is the direction of travel now. Resurrection is our ultimate goal. But, you know, we don't have to wait till we die. That same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us and is available to us today, strengthening us and transforming us more into the people that God created us to be. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul speaks about how we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And it's happening now. And you know, the great thing about this verse, the great thing about this truth is that it means the best is always to come. If we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another, the best is always to come. The day is coming when Jesus will come back to reign as king and he will take us to reign with him in glory. So as we finish, I just want to encourage us tonight that though we may not see things as they should be, we do see Jesus. And as we fix our eyes on him, our champion who has conquered death for us, that we might have life, who reigns in glory, we find hope. We find hope that we are not on our own as we wait for him to return. We find hope that death is not the end. And we find hope that one day we will reign with Christ and be the people that God created us to be. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to um, stand and sing a couple of songs. Paddy and the band are going to come and lead us in a couple of songs to give us an opportunity really to declare what Jesus has done for us and the people that we are in light of that truth. Let's stand and I'm going to pray for us. Father, we thank you for everything that you have done for us. 
Thank you that you did not look upon us and decide to turn away or to start again from scratch, but that you came to meet us in your son. Father, we thank you that through Jesus, death has been defeated, that we have the hope of resurrection life with you, and that that begins today. God, we pray that you would continue to be transforming us from one degree of glory to another, to be the people that you have created us to be. And God, in the good days and the harder days, Lord, would you help us to remember the truth of your resurrection and the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.